We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready for the final shot of the third quarter. It's Kemba. Fire it You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. Now broadcasting with your host. Welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners, Queen TV Hoops readers, and Hornets fans. We're back for our 31st episode of BuzzBeat Radio. Since you last heard us, uh, a lot has happened. Charlotte made a deal for Dwight Howard. We lucked into Malik Monk at number 11, and we added longtime guest Brian Geisinger to become our third co-host on the show. For our new audience on Dash Radio, BuzzBeat is a Charlotte Hornets show where you will get in-depth analysis about all things surrounding the Charlotte Hornets. Listeners, don't forget that BuzzBeat Radio is a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please check out AlmightyBaller.com for other great shows covering the rest of the league. Uh, so, okay, this is going to be our first official episode with Brian Geisinger. Uh, you'll hear me say BG a lot. I've just kind of fallen into that, Brian. So get used to that, guys, if you're listening out there. Uh, and we're extremely excited to have him uh, on as a full-time co-host now. Uh, and, and just as exciting, uh, we're going to be bringing on Chris Kroger to talk some Hornets uh, today. You can find him weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on 6.10 a.m. in Charlotte. If you're listening in Charlotte, you know who Chris Kroger is. Big presence on Twitter, big-time Hornets guy. On that note, Richie, uh, you thought when the draft ended that you're just going to be able to catch your breath, right? Not not so much. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I guess with the fact that we don't have a lot of money to spend, I can, I can catch my breath a little bit. But I, I finally caught up on sleep after that four-hour live draft show that we did. Uh, very exhausting. I think when we first did it, I think we first set it up by just going to the lottery. And then last second, Spencer, you just like, let's just go all the way through to our second round pick, which was fine with me, but I didn't realize how exhausting that was going to be. But I think I've caught up on my sleep now. Yeah, good, good. And had plenty of time to, uh, I'm glad we stayed on for that second round pick. And, you know, after that, between now and then, you've had plenty of time to scout out that cash considerations player uh, <laughs> that came back uh, in, in that second round pick. So, yeah, what a night that was. But, you know, on that note, uh, thanks for everybody that watched this or, or at least dropped in and, and watched this for a short period of time on Periscope that night. It was a super fun draft show. I thought it went really well. So thanks for all the support and, you know, uh, watching us that night and, and bearing with us as we kind of learned on the fly there. All right. On that note, 
I uh, want to take a quick opportunity to, to again introduce Chris Kroger, who's joining us uh, tonight. Chris, first of all, thanks for coming on, and how how you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm I'm kind of in the same breath. I, I was just saying uh, uh, on the show just earlier. I was saying how we've made it all the way essentially to July. It's, it's June 29th as we uh, tape this episode, and we really haven't even hit the slow time yet. Two days away from free agency technically starting, and. Uh, it's just been crazy. The NBA free agency period and, and offseason really got going like the day after the NBA finals ended. So it's been pretty wild. It, it indeed has been wild. And Richie, uh, Brian and I, the last few days have just been like on a mad email slash text uh, chain, just uh, racking our brains about the cap and reminding ourselves about all the new rules in the CBA and how it affects the Hornets and how close they are to tax. It's just like, oh my God, this is giving me a headache. But uh, I think we've got most of it figured out. And We'll talk about a lot of that later in the show. But again, Chris, glad you're on. Um, all right, so on today's show, again, we're going to uh, talk some free agency, who the Hornets uh, maybe are going to go after here, what other options. They're way up against the tax line, so they're pretty strapped in terms of options. Uh, but first, uh, let's jump in and briefly recap some of the major acquisitions that have happened in the past week. Uh, and since I didn't give our, our brand new co-host, Brian, a chance to, t- to talk there at the beginning, I'm going to let him start here. Brian, now you've had time to digest uh, the trade for Dwight Howard. I think we it's out there that the Hornets won that trade and we feel good about it. But what kind of impact on this team? What's, let me ask this. What's the biggest impact that he's going to make over the course of an 82-game uh, schedule for Charlotte? I, I think it's without a question. It, it comes on the defensive end. I don't think any of us are kidding ourselves when we say, you know, we don't think he's the Dwight Howard of 2008 to 2011. What he won, three defense, three straight defensive players of the year. He was an MVP candidate, all that stuff. But he's still a top five defensive center in the NBA. And he anchored the Hawks, which were a top four or five defense too. And I just like the, I mean, everyone's kicked this idea around already. So this is nothing new, but just, his rim protection at the rim and what that's going to help to the back line of Charlotte's defense, which, as we all kind of know, likes to overhelp a little bit on the perimeter. And it's, again, look, this isn't Dwight of 2011, but still, opponents still shot under 49% against him at the rim. Uh, he had a block rate of around 4%. And, you know, he's a legit, he's still a legit rim protector. I know sometimes the, uh, the, the back gives him issues and he can't get up and down like he used to. But Dwight's going to help this team out a lot on the defensive end. I mean, there's a whole, there's a, you know, we can get into the offensive stuff as well, too. But I, first off, right off the bat, no doubt, uh, defensively. And I think even, too, he was still among centers top five in the last season in win shares as well, too. This guy's legit uh, still on that end. And, and, of course, you know, being able to shed the, the Plumlee contract was probably <laughs> the, the biggest. I mean, it doesn't sound very nice to say, but that was probably the, the biggest, the real, the, the real uh, prize of the deal was getting out from the third year of that Plumlee contract and, and taking on a little additional salary in the uh, the short term. But uh, no, the defensively and being able to get out from that Plumlee contract were clearly uh, the two biggest parts of the that deal. Cho was able, Rich Cho was able to swing. Yeah, definitely, Chris. So when you saw this deal, I mean, what was your immediate reaction? Uh, how do you feel about it now? And I mean, do you think Dwight definitely starts? I mean, there's no way that he actually comes off the bench for Zeller here, right? No, I wouldn't think so. Like we had Haberstro on the show uh, last week, and and he's right. You could make a you could make a solid argument that Cody deserves it a little bit over Dwight, especially when you think about 
I'd say right now Cody is a better offensive player just because of what he's able to give you in the pick-and-roll game. But Dwight's going to give you a similar look offensively. And, of course, Brian's right. I mean, defensively, it's without question he's a better defender. He's a better rebounder for the position. Um, And, I mean, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. I mean, there's just no way about it. So – I think all that considered, mixing the fact that Cliff is is has got a rapport with him and a track record, he's going to start. I think they're both essentially going to be starters in terms of how the minutes break down. Um, I'm with Brian. I'm, I was just shocked at the time that they would be una- they'd be able to unload Miles's contract for that caliber of player. And I know Atlanta saying the same thing. Ha ha! The joke's on you. Look at the salary you just took on. But you shed a year's worth of salary. You took on more in the next two years, but you lose that extra year of miles, which is, I think, really crucial. And in the big picture, you, you jumped up nine spots in the second round. Of course, you use that to trade back down or 10 spots, use it to drop back down nine. And for cash considerations, you made what, like $2 million off of that. So it's pretty remarkable that you basically picked up $2 million in cash, got rid of Miles Plumway's contract. And essentially brought in the biggest trade piece in NBA history in this town since Glenn Rice. So when you put all that into perspective, I'm not sure how much it matters how great Dwight is here. In the long run, I think you've got a really solid player and you kind of got yourself out of a pickle financially moving forward. Yeah, I agree. I really don't think it matters how how good Dwight is in Charlotte. Um, I've kind of shared that same sentiment. I mean, I think I think they win the trade at the end of the day for all the reasons you you guys have talked about with the Plumley contract and be, being able to shed shed that. You know, the, the second round trade is is interesting. Uh, but you make a good point, Chris. Like the difference between Plumley's salary uh, and Dwight, you know, getting that two million back in the second round that that could have always been the plan. And not only that, but what we'll talk about later too. I mean. The owner, Michael Jordan, might need to be acquiring some extra cash right now because if he wants to compete next year, he might be paying a little bit of a, a tax here. Richie, any other thoughts about the Dwight deal that maybe we haven't mentioned or something that you think about more often as you ponder this uh, than anything else and, and what he brings to Charlotte? One thing that Clifford keeps on pre- preaching is this intelligence on the defensive end. You know, Brian talked about him being a rim protector, which he is. He averaged 1.2 blocks per game last season, but Clifford in, in his press conference talked about it multiple times how intelligent this guy is. And when you think of Dwight, you think of this like silly character, doesn't always, you know, put forth his best effort, but like, for for Clifford to say that this guy has high IQ on the defensive end, I think that's I think that's great to hear because I think I think it has to be true with the coverages and and figuring out things on the back end of that defense. And I think another impact that we have to talk about, I know that we we're going to focus on the defensive end, but on the offensive glass, I think that's where he's going to make the biggest difference on on offense. We're a team that doesn't crash the offensive boards, and we likely still won't. Uh, but with Dwight there around the rim, uh, he kind of seeks out those offensive rebounds, uh, and and that's going to give us extra points. You know, we we were you know I would say like top five, top ten in defensive rebounds, but we were also like in the bottom five in offensive rebounds. And uh, I think Dwight's going to have a huge effect on that. And it's it's not really going to affect our transition defense either. It's not like we're sending you know a shooting guard in there for an extra person to grab that offensive rebound. Dwight's already there. Yeah, right. And and. I like the fact that your your primary offensive rebounder now is going to be your center, uh, whereas you MKG, know it would yeah. be it would be MKG before. I mean, I you know not that MKG is a good offensive rebounder, and you know he keeps a lot of plays alive. But I'd rather have that guy back on defense and have a guy like Dwight 
kind of trailing the play a little bit defensively, if anybody's trailing the play, you know, in a, defensively in a Clifford system. But, you know, I, I agree with you. And I think that the fact that, you know, you, you compare him around a Frank Kaminsky, who we <laughs> talked about earlier in the week, Richie, who likes to shoot it a lot and miss it a lot. So, you know, we can have ample opportunities, you know, at an offensive rebound. And I think Kaminsky, to me, he, he, he pairs better with Dwight um, because of the spacing component. Uh, and he likes to hang out there more than, than maybe a Marvin Williams. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I also think, and I want to get your guys' feedback on this, and you can just go as, as it comes to you here, but I also think that the Zeller-Dwight on the floor together combination uh, is interesting. I don't, I'm not super confident that it's going to gel awesome, but I do think that this is a way – that Charlotte could kick the tires one last time on Zeller's exploration to the three-point line or close to it. Because if he's playing with Dwight, he's going to have to be the short corner floater, um, you know, when he's not involved in some kind of horn set or some kind of double pick at the top with Dwight involving Kimba. Um, He's going to have to provide some kind of floor spacing away from the rim if he's playing with Dwight. So to me, it's like let's okay, let's see what we have one last time on this whole like Zeller being able to stretch it. Any thoughts on that? I, I think he, I think you're going to see it, just not for long. Uh, you know, Cliff has really adapted over the course of really just the last two seasons. Um, I was looking at this earlier uh, in two seasons ago in 20, 2014, 2015. How many minutes do you guys think Al Jefferson and Cody Zeller played together? Because it's almost nine hundred. So like that's and that's from 2014 2015. They played Zeller and Al played 883 minutes together that season. So but so obviously like you know Clifford is not playing about is not really down with playing two traditional it's kind of like post up not post up type but two centers anymore. It doesn't really do that. But I think just kind of I, I don't know if out of this necessity or just like the way the rotation is going to break. I think at times you're going to see it. I, I don't think it's going to go great. But I'm I'm not I I would be curious to see Cody having another opportunity uh, to kind of expand and and not just be the screen you know the the guy that's setting screens for Kemba nonstop if, if there maybe are other aspects to his game uh, kind of like Spencer was saying yeah, as this kind of like short corner floater but I really don't think outside of a pinch or whatever you're gonna see those two guys going to going going out there at the same time all that much. I think Clifford, he, I, don't, I can't remember if he mentioned this with, with me last week on the show or the myriad of other things he had talked about, but he, he had mentioned the looks that Oklahoma City will give you, <clears throat> excuse me, at times, which is, you know, you'll see Cantor and Adams out on the floor at times together, and it's not for long stretches. It's really not sustainable, but when you want to go big and you really want to punish teams on the glass and uh, you know, control the paint. I think there's an opportunity from that. And you're right. I think offensively, it's you're right. It's going to be really hard, Spencer, to kind of you know dictate things to the opposing defense because somebody's got to have a threat of shooting the ball. And forget Cody even shooting a three. He's got no threat with a mid range game even consistently right now. Uh, so I think that's the that's the important part on the offensive end that's kind of hindering things. But I think there are times defensively where you can go big with your lineup or match a team going big. And you can do it for short stretches, which that wasn't even really an option before. Not with uh, Kaminsky and Marvin Williams as your uh, as your foreman. So I think I think that's an interesting piece. Can't be for long periods, but I think for for short bursts, it could be something you see this year. Well, and, and the last thing I wanted to add, you know, to this perplexing conversation about Zeller and Dwight possibly on the floor together is 
I'm just I'm purely speculating here, but like, could it potentially stand for a little bit of a philosophy shift for Clifford in terms of how he approaches offensive rebounding? Um, I, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but like a, a Kimba Dwight pick and roll, or even vice versa, uh, a, a Kimba Zeller pick and roll with the guy setting the pick, di- you know, diving hard to the rim, trailing Kimba. And then the other big from the short corner crashing the offensive glass behind. Like, that's a devastating combination for a defense to try to deal with around the offensive glass um, or, or trying to trying to control the defensive glass, rather. So I feel like if Clifford doesn't encourage those two crashing the offensive glass, it's kind of wasting, like, what they can bring to the table from being on the floor together, if that makes sense. So I'm really interested to see if if those two together again stands for a little bit of a philosophy shift when it comes to offensive rebounding because you're gonna you're gonna hurt already offensively with those two on the, on the floor and how you make up for that is is being aggressive on the offensive glass and you have the bodies to do it with them together so I think that's interesting I've actually heard Van Gundy Jeff Van Gundy mention he thought that like a potential upcoming market inefficiency in the NBA that teams could take advantage of would be rebounding offensive rebounding. Because less teams are trending more and more away from from doing that, you know, the Hornets, you know, being kind of included on that curve uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm just intrigued by I don't know what this could look like, but just knowing, uh, you know, knowing the intricacies of what Cliff wants to do on the offensive end with the dribble handoff, how basically at any given point, uh, especially now with Cody at, at center the last couple yep. of years, the way that they love to run their action, run guys through multiple screens, off multiple picks, back action. And, and how adept basically everybody one through five is with at least handling the ball. I'm intrigued by that because Dwight, Dwight can do that too. He's, it's not the strongest part of his game, obviously, as a big man, but he's competent enough at that. And what does that look like? I mean, I think it's kind of a Frankenstein. It's kind of a scary idea of having two big men out there, you know, setting multiple screens and guys running off that action. But I actually think, I don't know, maybe it works. I'd be interested to see. I, I don't know. Again, I don't think you could do it for long periods of time, but I'd be interested to see what that does to – open things up for uh, for some outside looks. You would have to put the right players around them for it to work. I, I guess I could see it in spots where they were setting picks and, and people coming off these screens and getting into the paint. Uh, but we would also have to surround them with outside shooting because if those two were in there, they're both... They're not picking pot players. They're picking role players. Right. So they're going to be right. clogging up that lane. We need players on the outside. Put a Monk on there. Put Monk out there with them. You know, that, that to me... Uh, is more of the issue, Spencer, is putting the players around them. I guess it could work uh, in, in certain situations. Uh, I personally don't like the idea of them playing together, but depending on the other three players around them, I guess it could work a little bit. And and by the way, too, Dwight, still good at the hoop offensively. Right. Uh, shot 72% in the restricted area this year and had less than 7% of his shots in the restricted area blocked. That's actually an improved. Both those stats uh, from this year in Atlanta are an improvement over the year prior in Houston. And he shot 68% inside of eight feet uh, this year with Atlanta. It was 64% two years ago with Houston. So like as long as Dwight stays away from, from the post-up, and specifically the hook shot, which he shot only 38% on this past season, like I, I think he can still be a useful piece offensively um, you know, in the paint and certainly on, on pick and rolls with, uh, with Kemba and Batum. And here's one thing that I watched with him in the paint. Like, a lot of times it's it's difficult to guard him because if you front him, you know, we don't necessarily have someone that can throw that lob that great, but he does a very subtle job of pushing that guy in the back and, and getting that alley-oop. 
but if you if you play behind yep. him, he does a good job of kind of like spinning backwards and, and going backside for that backdoor alley-oop. So, yeah, he's not a post-op player by, by any means, but if you do play behind him, I've noticed, I've watched some of his, uh, his makes inside the restricted area this year. He does like to spin backwards. So hopefully Kimba can kind of develop that at that alley-oop game because that's where a lot of his baskets are going to come. And to your point, Brian, I think he averaged his best field goal percentage this past year out of any years in his career, if I'm not mistaken. And, and just think that can go up if he uses the post up less too. Like I, uh, 28% of his possessions this year were, were post ups and the Hornets don't post guys up. Kaminsky led the team this year in percentage of possessions that were a post up with 12%. So like Dwight, like he'll probably post up less. And because of that, he might shoot a higher number this year just because it's going to be more lobs and dunks as opposed to hooks and up and unders and stuff like that. Yeah, and to that point, yeah, I think that's interesting. And to that point, you know, take MKG out as, you know, the quasi-power forward in a lot of lineups and insert a guy like Zeller playing with Dwight. And now I think you have the opportunity, especially with Zeller, to unlock a player from that short corner area when his guy kind of has to dig in and help on a possible Dwight Howard role. Like, Zeller, we could unlock some serious cutting potential um, and kind of <laughs> almost rim running from the weak side. So if you don't get the lob... For Howard, um, and, and, and Zeller's guys digging in to help. I mean, I, I think Zeller's again. I think he's just a real terror to deal with, uh, cutting in from the weak side, not only on the offensive glass, but cutting in for layups uh, and cutting in for lobs. So I think there's some stuff with those two together that could work in stretches, and uh, it's going to be super interesting to watch. All right, well, let's let's talk about the draft for a minute. I think the Hornets had an awesome night. I don't think that anyone would disagree with that. Malik Monk falls to them at number 11, which really, until it was happening in real time, Brian and Richie, as we're, <laughs> sitting, as we're sitting there watching it happen, I don't think anyone really believed it was a possibility, uh, even as that draft started. Chris, is this a win for the Hornets? Do you like the fit with Monk? Do you see him playing right away? I mean, what is your gut reaction to this one? Yeah, I was, um, you know what, I was optimistic that there'd be an uh, there'd be an outside shot that he was going to fall. I mean, I think if we were all reading the tea leaves the last week or so before the draft, it really seemed like there were teams that were super trepidatious, trepidatious about his size, about the fact that he was a streaky shooter. Um, they were not they weren't necessarily sold on the idea that this guy could be a ball handler or be a two way player. Um, but that being said, I mean, everybody across the board saying this is the most prolific scorer the most prolific shooter in this draft, regardless of position, and a guy that that still has some athletic upside to his game if you can find a way to make it work on the, on the defensive end. So uh, I was surprised. I wouldn't say I was shocked because it seemed like there was a chance, but I was surprised. And, you know, I, I know some people were kind of, I think they got some PTSD. They were worried the Hornets would do the thing they expected them to do, which is take Donovan Mitchell or Luke Kennard instead, even with Monk on the board at eleven. But I think, obviously, you go BPA, and that would have been an egregious error. I, I don't think they thought twice about taking Monk at 11, uh, even though, and they, even though they, uh, they really thought long and hard about Kennard and Mitchell coming into to Thursday night. I would agree. I don't think they thought twice either. And, you know, Monk, <laughs> Richie and I discussed this long before the draft. I mean, everything about him in his profile, especially just his body and his measurements, it, it always suggested a guy that had a really – damn good chance to fall and, and indeed he ended up doing that you know I, I do not subscribe to the one trick pony conversation as he's just a shooter only a scorer um, I think he has some ability uh, down the road to play with the ball in his hands 
to, to, to make plays out of a pick and roll. Um, but, but really Monk is, he's one of the smartest offensive players I've watched coming out of college after his freshman season in a really long time. The way he uses screens, sets up his defender, almost uh, anticipates the defender's move and, and the angle he's going to take, uh, you know, off a of flare screen or off ball screen, almost anticipates it before it happens. I mean, it's super, super impressive. I mean, all the film shows that just jumps right off at you. Um, and then the fact that he just like, that's what he wants to be like. He owns the fact that like, I want to shoot the ball. I want to score the ball. That's what I do. That's what I'm going to do my entire, like, I like that. I like guys that say, here's what I do the best. And that's, that's what I'm out here to do. Yeah, yeah, and I would I would say to that point, Spencer, like, you know, again, you can talk about measurables all you want and 6'3", and, you know, maybe he's a little bit undersized, but, you know, the Hornets clearly saw something in him before this this ankle injury that flared up just the other day, or, or at least they, you know, revealed it the other day. It happened in the pre-draft process. Their intentions were to have him basically be a ball handler at Summer League just to start to get the ball rolling in that situation. So I think that's your early indication, one, they don't just view him as a wing prospect, who's just going to stand out there and, and knock down open threes. And then two, I think when you listen to this guy speak, and we had him on the next day, and, you know, he wasn't joking. He was serious. He's saying, you know, look, Kemba's got the second best step back game in the NBA. Who's number one? I do. So, like, yeah. stuff like that. You know, you look for upside in, in, in these young guys and these players. This guy's got a star quality to him. And I yeah. think it's the intangible aspect that kind of lends itself to that. Yeah, a lot of what he does, how he moves off the ball and how he gets open, how he sets his defender up. I mean, a lot of that really reminds me of Bradley Beal. Um, but, but you know, then I, I do think like he has some he has some like C.J. McCollum potential. I don't think he's yeah. ever going to be that think, good. But I mean, I think he's got more than he's shown at Kentucky. I, I just his IQ is super high. And I, I just Charlotte's going to have to they're going to have to give him ample opportunities to play with the ball in his hands. I don't know how much he's going to be able to do that next season. So that's why it's really a shame that he's going to be out of summer league. But yeah, I think there's more there. I really do. I agree. I, I kind of like, I've liked the McCollum comparison with him for a while. And, and by the way, like he's not just, a, he really, the perception that he's just a catch and shoot guy, it, I think is actually kind of misguided. Like I don't, I don't buy a bit of it. He shot 45%. Uh, out of the pick and roll off jump shots this past season. And when he was a passer, passer out of the pick and roll, Kentucky scored 1.3 points per possession, which is, wow. is insane. It's awesome. That's not on like a ton of possessions, but like, yeah, no, he knows what he's doing. And, and Kentucky wasn't exactly running, you know, they're not exactly like the Warriors with all the space in the world too. So I, I think the fact that he was able to put up those numbers is impressive. Uh, he shot 43% off the dribble this year, which is really good. Like that's a number that's on par with, Markel Fultz. Um, I'm mean, obviously Markel's facing more, you know, defensive attention or whatever. But I just, I, I just, I don't buy the fact that this guy is just uh, a catch and shoot guy that's going to come off pin downs and flares. Like that's what I want to see him do a lot of. But um, no, nah, he's more than just, he's more than that. That he's got, he has handles. He's got, he's got some, some juice to his game too. I think because he he shot the ball so well off ball, like he shot the ball so well off ball, that's probably why they view him as an off ball shooter. He did score 1.22 points per possession on those catch and shoot jumpers. I think that's probably the reason why, Brian, like you just said, that he, he has the ability to play out of the pick and roll. He can shoot off the dribble. 
And he's one of those players that I've noticed sometimes, maybe not to the extreme of Batum, but a lot of times he'll, he will shoot the ball and square up in his motion. Uh, and this allows him to get the shot off a little bit quicker. You know, Batum kind of catches turns and shoots all in one motion. I've seen him do that a couple of times and he's pretty effective in it. So um, yeah, I think people view him as an off ball player or a player that gets a lot of his points in transition. But, you know, like Chris said, like Brian said, that they're, they're going to try him at the point guard position, or at least put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Yeah, and I think the other element, too, and this is this will be, I know we're going to talk about Dwayne, too, but I, this is true of both of these guys, but Malik in particular, he's, you know, again, he's like Brian said, he's not just a catch-and-shoot guy. His mid-range game, that little that little jab step he's got, the way he creates space, he, he's got to, he, he understands already, even at 19, I think some of the nuances of the game, but it's not just him standing behind the three-point line, and and they definitely didn't run him off a lot of screens at Kentucky. They'll do a lot more of that with the Hornets. But he's he's got a mid-range game. He can get to the rack. Um, he's got an athleticism. He can elevate for a six-three frame. But I think that mid-range games, he claims it's his best asset. I think that's one of the most intriguing parts for him, honestly. Well, that's funny because Bacon's game is is very uh, heavily involved in the mid-range as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's a good transition. Chris, I love your point about his athleticism. I mean, it's something that people definitely don't don't understand enough. And if you actually just go <laughs> by his – especially by his numbers in Kentucky's combine that they'll put on for scouts and GMs during the season, he's one of the best athletes actually in this entire draft um, when you actually go by those numbers. I mean, he was, the, he was a better athlete than De'Aaron Fox at Kentucky's combine, uh, which I think most people wouldn't believe. So – um, but anyways, all right, let's let's uh, transition and talk about Dwayne Bacon, um, a guy that we talked about in the pre-draft process. Brian, um, you liked him a lot, um, you know, from the ACC, Florida State guy. I would say a guy unlike Monk that played with the ball in his hands a lot more. Um, yeah. Kind of a, a volume player for Florida State. Um, really good offensive game, very versatile, a uh, strong athlete, a uh, good shooter, has some range, not a phenomenal uh, shooter, I wouldn't say, but definitely has some range. And, you know, it's interesting that the fact that the Hornets traded back there, I, I wonder where Bacon really was on their board. I wonder if this is a guy that they really actually plan on, um, you know, getting some time next season, probably not in Charlotte, but I would expect him to spend a lot of time in Greensboro. But if he's actually part, or, or at least they're considering him to be part of the future plans, and you know what? He, he might have to get on the floor next season. I mean, we're again, we're going to talk about this later, but Hornets are strapped to really how they can how they can fill out the wing position beyond Travion Graham now. So a few injuries sprinkle up, and Bacon might be able uh, to find his way onto the court for the Hornets next year. Brian, tell us a little bit about his game. Yeah, Bacon, uh, he's a pretty good transition player. Uh, FSU is, it, with the last two seasons, uh, with both years with, with Dwayne being like a high-usage player for them, has been arguably up there with UNC, the best transition offense in the ACC and, and one of the best in the nation, was a top 25 or 30 transition offense this season. And Bacon Bacon's a great transition player. He shot 60% in transition this year. He's a pretty good catch-and-shoot player. Uh, 35% field goal percentage on catch and shoots with a 52% effective field goal percentage. Both those are good, not great, but on a lot of attempts, which is kind of nice. Like I like if guys are kind of on this fringe, that fringe between being like a good, but not great three point shooter. Like I still want to just see them shooting a lot. Cause like maybe you figure it out. And so my thing is, I, I agree with you. Like depending on how this roster fills out, like he could certainly see 
see minutes, but assuming we fill it with, you know, with, with a bunch of veterans, which I'm expecting, you know, let's see him get a ton of minutes for the Swarm in Greensboro. Let him play 30 minutes, 30 plus minutes. Let him chuck a ton of threes and let him guard the top opposing perimeter player, like whomever that is. And maybe, maybe Dwayne Bacon turns into a three and D two guard that you got with the, that you got with the 41st pick uh, in, or the 40, the 40th pick in the draft. So I like this is one of the cool things of NBA teams having these one to one partnerships with their now G League affiliate. Like you can turn it into a lab and you get to try players out. You get to you get to test test strategies and all this cool stuff. The the Rockets have been awesome about doing this with the the Rio Grande Vipers the last couple of years too. And my other thing is was well for Bacon is it's not I think he's a little bit of a streaky shooter. Like for the whole season he, he attempted about five threes per game and, sh- and made a little over thirty three percent. But in the first 18 games of the year, when I think you and I first talked about him, we were pretty high on him. He was taking about four and a half per game and was making 38%. Then over the final 17 games, that dipped to to 30%. And over the final 10 games, under 20% on three-pointers. And in in their uh, four postseason games, two in Brooklyn for the ACC tournament and two in the NCAA tournament, he went 0 for 15 from deep. Didn't make a single three in postseason play this year uh, for the Seminoles. But I'm still bullish on him. Just let him go to Greensboro and let him let him play a lot. Let him guard uh, whomever the best player is on the perimeter on the other team. Let him just chuck threes. And, you know, like I said, maybe you can turn him into a 3 and D guy, which is the type of player you just simply can't have enough of uh, on any roster in the NBA. Yeah, I think, I think you're dead on. And I, I think it's hard to get a feel for where the Hornets really – what they really think about him uh, and where he fits into their future uh, as of now – Chris, have you been around Dwayne since he arrived in Charlotte? What kind of kid is he? Do you have some insight? I mean, I'm sure you've been in the building kind of since he arrived. Yeah, I got to talk to him the other day, and he's you know I like his I like his attitude, um, and uh, you know I talked to one one person at FSU that had been around him the last couple of years, and they say he you know from a character standpoint, uh, the guy's got the right attitude and just a you know great guy. So. I don't think you have to worry about that aspect of him. You know, Steven Silas, who's going to be coaching the uh, the summer league team, made it a point to say the other day that, you know, he was really surprised by how smooth already Dwayne looks offensively. Now, he made it a point, too, to talk about what we already know, which is, yeah, this guy's going to have to develop on the defensive end. That's the major knock on his game coming in. Can he be a two-way player? But um, he's got the tools, and Silas was really, I think, genuinely blown away by how polished he is offensively already. He said he's got just got this uh, this polish to his offensive game that he just didn't expect right away. I, I You know, what the way I look at Dwayne is, I, I, you know, as, as kind of as an insurance policy. I think in a, in a best-case scenario, um, maybe you make a, a move or two with this mid-level exception, the biannual exception. Maybe there's a tiny trade that happens to where you're not expecting much from him right away. But – I kind of view him as Jeremy Lamb 2.0, where super athletic, kind of long, rangy, runs the floor well. Um, he, he can be streaky offensively, can stroke it. But, you know, Jeremy Lamb, for, for better or for worse, I think this team kind of is where it is with Jeremy Lamb. He, he's going to give you stuff on the offensive end. There's going to be nights where he doesn't care to play defense. You're going to try to work some of that stuff in with Dwayne Bacon. Like right now, you're hoping you can mold him into being a two-way player I think that's kind of sailed on Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb is what he is. He's he's a streaky offensive player. He's a he's a liability more often than not on the defensive end, which is a frustration for Coach Clifford. I think this is kind of Lamb 2.0, where maybe he does truly turn into that three and D player that 
uh, that Brian was just talking about. Yeah, his game reminds me of Lamb. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a guy that does very well in the defensive boards, like Lamb. Uh, he takes those defensive misses and takes it the other way. He's good in the mid-range. He's a little streaky from behind the arc. And he's a guy that, not right now, but he can develop into someone that has, uh, you know, he has all the physical tools to, to compete on the defensive end. And I think that's, that's what needs to develop, and his, and his three-point game needs to develop. And, you know, he is Lamb 2.0. That's exactly what I have written down here. He That's who he reminds me of a lot. And I guess it depends on if we trade Lamb or not, whether this guy will see minutes in Charlotte. But like everyone is saying, I think those are going to be a few and far between, and he probably will see most of his time in Greensboro. Well, it will be interesting with Bacon as it will be with Travion Graham. And I, I kind of think it's almost a competition between those two. I mean, depending where the Hornets end up in total salary here, um, you know, Bacon's a second round pick. So his his deal worth, you know, just a little over 800000 for next year is non-guaranteed. Travion Graham's deal is non-guaranteed uh, until um, January the 10th. So, you know, yeah, and I would I, I would say too on that Spence just like I, I, my only thought and I, I don't know this to be exactly true but uh, they've been really Coach Clifford in particular is really high on Travion Graham because of what he knows he's going to give him on the defensive end he's got the opposite issue where you're waiting for that offensive game to kind of round into more consistent form but he's got the body and the mindset that you want coming from VCU with that havoc approach and if you remember I know it's just one game but you go back early in the season. Hornets, I believe, were 6-1 and one at that time. That was during that best start. And they came home for that Friday night game against Toronto. Yep. MKG was out. And it was Travion that kind of slowed down DeMar DeRozan that night. So, yeah, yeah I think they mm-hmm. think already about Travion that he might be ready for that next step just from a readiness and a professional standpoint and from being a defensive guy you can count on right away. That's the X factor, I think, with Dwayne Bacon. They make a, they make a point during, like, every Hornets broadcast when he gets in like the TV crew that Clifford like likes Trevion and trust him. And, and I think there, I think there's like a reason behind doing that, but they mentioned that literally every broadcast when, when Trevion plays that this is a guy that Clifford really likes. And I, I think as far as summer league goes, now that Monk is at playing Monk is not going to play. I think he's the most, the kind of the guy you really need to pay attention to uh, this, this, this off season for the Hornets. No, I think it's a great point, and I think Travion Graham is going to have to play minutes next season. I mean, I don't really think there's any way around that. So it's a really good thing to Cliff trust him, and you know, Travion has a good defensive profile. I think that it, it's uh, even a budding profile, one that's growing. But you know, he's, he has a chance to be a much more consistent shooter uh, and true three and D player than a guy like Jeremy Lamb or a guy like Dwayne Bacon. I mean, Travion Graham was a good uh, shooter from the outside in college. Um, you don't ask him to do very much at all with the ball in his hands. Just ask him to defend wings uh, and really catch and shoot. So for what you, for what, really what you want out of a guy like that, he could end up being uh, the perfect kind of player. And th- this would suggest that it's the it's the season for him to break out. And you know, obviously he's on a very very team friendly contract um, and not even a million and a half dollars. So um, certainly a player to watch uh, for this coming season. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's spin. Let's transition here and spend the rest of the time uh, talking some free agency. We've got about a solid 20, 25 minutes here to really dig in, uh, and it is a complicated mess for the Hornets uh, as they try to fill out the remainder of this roster. Um, right now, what I've got for the Hornets, uh, and this is taking off the Ramon Sessions team option, which if they're not able to trade him within the next uh, three hours, <laughs> it looks like. 
They're going to have to bring – they will decline his option, bring him off the books. And then uh, also this is not including Christian Wood's um, cap hold. So he's actually technically a restricted free agent. So he does have a cap hold. So this is not including those two uh, numbers. So I've got the Hornets with 14 players on the roster, includes the two draft picks, at about $116 million, just over $116 million, uh, in payroll. So that gets them – about $2.96 million, uh, below the current projected tax line of 119 So to start, that's not even enough for them to use their smaller exception that is available to them, which is the biannual exception. So there's another move probably coming, but it doesn't necessarily have to come right now. As I was mentioning a minute ago, Travion Graham's deal becomes guaranteed on January the 10th. And Dwayne Bacon obviously also has a non-guaranteed deal. Uh, I would assume the Hornets are probably going to keep Briante Weber. And I would, I think at this point, I'm ready to assume they're going to keep Johnny O'Brien. I, I just don't know what they're going to get on the market in terms of a big. But, but we can talk about that. That being said, guys, 2.96 under the tax line. They can go over. They just got to get back under. I think if we're all in agreement that, that Michael Jordan's not paying a tax bill with this roster, which I would still call a mediocre roster if we're being honest. Give me some targets, Richie. We'll start with you. Okay. Well, first off, I, I don't know. I don't think that we're going to bring J.O.B. back. I think that he would save $1.5 million. I think with Zeller, Kaminsky, and Howard, I mean, I'm not saying we're set in the front court, but I, I like those three. Anyway, I think the point guard is obviously the clear number one target, and I think when we look at these players, we want to look at someone that's going to fit well with that second unit. The players that we want to be looking at is someone that's going to be a little bit bigger, stronger, who can play next to Monk. So if Monk has to slide over and guard the point guard because he's a little bit frail right now, you know, Monk's, you know, ultra athletic. He can guard the quick shifty guards. Maybe get bring in a player that's very defensive minded and stronger and bigger. So the one guy that I want to look out for is Shelvin Mack. Uh, you know, he's 6'3", 203. Uh, he can play the one and two. Uh, last year, I don't think he would have been the great fit on this team, but I think this year when we added Monk uh, to that second unit, it makes a little bit more sense. He's a player, like I said, that can play either guard spot, but I do like him at the one a little bit more, and he can use his, his size advantage there. He's not ever going to stretch the floor by any means, but he's not like Michael Carter-Williams who can't shoot at all. He also has a very good floater game, so he, he likes to use his, his size advantage, get into the rim, get to the rim, and use his floater there. And then on defensive end, I think this is where, where we can see the biggest effect is kind of have him slide over to the two while Monk guards the one. Um, you know, he's not the most explosive athlete. Uh, he's not going to blow you away in that area, but he uh, will we'll keep up, I guess, with the, with the shooting guards. Point guards, it might be a little bit tougher because he's not as quick. But that's I feel like that's like the most realistic target that I'm looking at is Shelvin Mack, and I think he fits that second that second unit well. All right, I'll, I'll go here because I, I got one that I've really started to fall in love with, especially today, the more I've researched it and kind of – I think it, 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 it will sound crazy when I bring it up, but I think it could actually work. You know, I think Tyreek Evans is like the I love perfect. It. I, I knew you were going to say Tyreek. I love it too, but I don't think I, interrupt, but continue. No, no, it's fine. I, I mean, look, when Jeremy Lin came to Charlotte uh, in summer of 2015, that was the biannual exception. And the biannual exception at that time was worth far less than it is now, worth about, I think, just a shy over $2 million. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's a Jeremy Lamb who's making $12 million now, by the way. Um, so Tyreek Evans, he's 27 years old, about to turn 28, <clears throat> has had a very spotty career, as we know, 
Um, played really, really good with Sacramento when he was traded there in the last 14 games last season. I think it's time for him to be on like a make a make right kind of contract like Lynn had to be on in Charlotte. So I actually think if you offer Tyreek Evans in, in a market that I think is going to be extremely spotty and probably dry up quicker than people are anticipating um, for numerous factors, I actually think you can get him for the biannual exception. I just think you give him the full $3.2 million or 3.29 to be precise, uh, and then give him a player option on the second year, which allows him to get back to the market at the age of 26 as soon as possible. I view it similar to the Jeremy Lin situation. I really think that, and, and not only that, but you sell him on a situation that's a winning situation that can allow him to get to the postseason, that can allow him to really put together some quality film, tape, and profile to, to really get back into free agency in a year and get his last big contract um, in the NBA, just like Lynn did. I mean, I, I view the situations very, very similarly. I could be way off on his on his market here and, and what he's going to cost, but I, I think it's a possibility. Now, tell me I'm crazy, someone. I, I think money-wise, I, I just don't – I would love him on a one-plus-one, like get right on the biennial exception. If Cho pulls that off, it would be incredible. Um, and I, I would actually get really excited about that. And, and I think he'd fit. Uh, I think they would find a way to make it work. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like trying to, you know, plug Lane Stevenson in or whatever. But uh, but I, but I just financially, I don't know if he's going to if if three if three point three is, is going to be enough to, to land Reek, even if he does get that kind of like get out of jail card uh, 12 months from now. Uh, you know, I think this is this is tough because I think there are guys out there in this market that do some of what you want that second point guard to do. And I think there are, there are guys out there that, you know, don't really fit entirely. Like, you know, I think Raymond Felton's an interesting one. And if you're only looking for a guy that can solidify that, that second unit uh, as a two-way guard, uh, I think he's, you know, he's a guy that isn't going to light it up, obviously, from the three-point line. But his three-point shooting, I think, has gotten at least somewhat competent uh, as he's gone on throughout throughout his career. Um, I think you could have a guy like Raymond Felton, but I think you'd, like you said, you'd love to aim higher than that. I think the opportunity to maybe get a guy like Tyreek Evans and hope that it turns into something similar. I like the idea of Patty Mills. I know Patty's smaller. He's not the true, you know, change of pace point guard you'd like to pair maybe with Kemba at times or, uh, you know, be be a little bit different physically than Kemba. But I think Patty does a lot of the same stuff, and I think he's He's shown he can be a pretty good three-point shooting guard if, if, you, if you're asking that of your point guard as well. I don't know if – I mean, he made 4.3 last year. He opted out of that option. So, what do you, I mean, what does Patty Mills even command in today's NBA and free agency? That's the other part of this. It's hard to, to pinpoint what some of these guys think they could make uh, in free agency right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just – like my thought – it's going to be really interesting in free agency. It's not It's not going to be that boring free agency that if you're just reading tweets from the outside saying, oh, only 10 teams have cast base this summer, it's, this is going to be boring. It's going to be far from that. Uh, again, 10 teams have cast space. Uh, the cap just projected cap just dropped last week, yep. uh, which is going to hurt a lot of teams. Uh, this new CBA kicking in. The cap holds are greater. The rookie cap holds are greater. Uh, I mean, there's just so many rules that are limiting teams that were already limited. So yeah. I think that so, but the, the reverse of that is that it brings opportunity for teams that yes, could be a little handcuffed in what they could do, 
but they can provide real opportunity for players. And I think Charlotte has one of those situations. Like, look, I think we can all agree they've gotten better on paper so far this summer. Chicago, a playoff team from last year, not going to make the playoffs next year. <laughs> Indiana, Indiana, a playoff team last year, probably not going to make the playoffs next year. Atlanta, a playoff team last year, damn sure ain't making the playoffs next year. So, like, there's opportunity for Charlotte to move north, and I just – the, the biannual exception to me is not going to hold the, sa- the same kind of value that it has in the past. I think it's going to hold a much greater value this season uh, or this summer because of this market that's going to dry up. And number two, because it's gone up in, in just literal monetary value going up in price. All right, let's talk about a few names that I think have been linked to the Hornets a lot. And let's just get some thoughts. Michael Carter-Williams is the one I want to touch on first. I mean, I think he liked Tyreek, has good size. Defensively, he's a nice fit next to Kimba. Um, not going to bring you any shooting, um, but can play with the ball in his hands, can, can run some offense, can get a guy like Kimba off the ball some. Um, I don't really love the fit, maybe as most as some, but it, but it makes sense to me. Anybody fill in the blanks there? And I also think you can get him for – I mean, yeah, I think you can get – Carter Williams for four million or less. Value wise, you can get him. I think that's going to be out there for him, but I don't like this guy. I mean, I love his length. You know, he's six six, plays point guard. He can play next to Monk. He can play next to Kemba. But that's kind of where my love for this guy stops. I mean, I think you know he might be able to make a difference on the defensive end and get his hand into passing lanes because he is lanky, but. He just can't shoot, can't shoot. There's a lot of players out there that shoot better on all three levels, at the rim and mid-range and, and from behind the arc that is just better than this guy. And I get that we want to we want to go for a guy that maybe is more defensive-minded and is taller, but I, I don't like him. I don't, I don't like him. Yeah, I think on a roster that already has like one perimeter guy that is a, just a total non-shooter in MKG, I mean, less than, less than 2% of Mike's field goal attempts last year were threes. Uh, the only guy that's 6'7 or less with a smaller percentage is Sean Livingston, uh, who, who another guy, maybe we'll, maybe that name, we're going to bat that name around, but just having two, having two perimeter guys that are completely non shooters in your top, you know, let's say, you know, basically like six or whatever of, of guard and wing players is, uh, it's a risk. I just think it's a risk and, and one that I'm, I'm not really like all on board with taking Chris. I mean, do you see Carter Williams fitting in Charlotte? I mean, is he worth, what you think maybe he would cost? I to me no, and I think you go back the only the only year where you could say he was a gosh even good player. I think is is that rookie season, and that's on a bad Philly team where they were you know just running everything through him, and even then his efficiency numbers were were not good. So yeah, I just don't see it. I mean, I guess you could maybe if you thought of him as like a poor man Sean Livingston because of the size and if you wanted to try to post him up and get him in some mismatches and take advantage of his mid-range game but you're getting no three-point shooting from this guy and I, j- I just don't I, I don't see it I don't, I don't like the fit here with that agree uh, so we're all in agreement there it's kind of surprised about because there's been a lot of buzz about Carter Williams and Charlotte all right Sean Livingston you mentioned him Brian uh all right here's my thing with Sean Livingston is I actually think that he just has more leverage or as much leverage as maybe any middling point guard in this entire market because if you just don't pay him the mid-level the full mid-level then he's just like all right fine I'm going back to Golden State yeah <laughs> or, you know yeah. I'm just gonna go back to Golden State win another ring on a, on a discount like whatever I get another championship I'm good so I, I just like someone's gonna have to seriously overpay I don't know if 
overpay is the right word, but in, in relevance to what other people are going to be getting, other point guards that are just as good as him in this market, I just think he has a lot of leverage just because of the team that he's coming from. But I would love him back in Charlotte. I mean, I, I really would like that fit, uh, especially defensively. And then offensively, you can almost like invert your offense because you can mm-hmm. post him up um, and play him in, in smaller lineups. And, and he's just such a good passer. He's obviously a post player, too. So love him as a player. Just think he's out of Charlotte's market. Uh, any thoughts there? Uh, I'm with you 100%. Especially, if, I mean, Liv- Livingston might be my favorite player in the NBA. I'm not like I'm not even going to lie. But uh you know, especially if Iguodala leaves leaves Oakland too, then they can put all, whatever offseason resources they have uh, into Livingston. You know, aside from obviously re-signing Curry and Durant, so I just, I can't see him leaving leaving Oakland. And uh, I do love some of the stuff he would open up as far as being a backup point guard that you can throw alley oops to, and that he can pass out of the post, and he's such a good cutter. But yeah, I just think he's another guy similar to Michael Carter Williams. I like the more. If they're going to be on a roster that has a lot of shooting, as opposed to Charlotte, which is like a little a little pinched in terms of of spacing and shooting too. So as much as I love Sean, and I think he'd find a way to fit, I think financially, um, it just it just can't work out this summer, unfortunately. All right, so I'm going to throw out another scenario, and to me, this is the only way that Charlotte could potentially make a, a, a what I would say, quote unquote, a huge splash this summer because they're not going to be able to do that with either one of the cap exceptions that's available to them. And that situation is a sign and trade. Um, Certainly not likely at all for Charlotte. Um, And I think this new CBA actually makes sign and trades um, a lot more difficult. We're not going to go in the weeds with all that, but I've got a few guys that I think it would be extremely hard. And the team would have to value a guy like Michael K. Gilchrist. Like, I just don't think that teams value him. A few names here. Uh, The first one is Rudy Gay. Um, Mm. I think that, this is actually the few names I'm going to toss out. A more attainable uh, situation, you know, coming off you know his Achilles injury, I, I think there's maybe a handful of teams who are seriously going to be interested in him. And Sacramento is not going to get anything for him if he just walks as an unrestricted free agent. So, you know, if if Charlotte picked up the phone and said, "Hey, look, <clears throat> we'll send you Jeremy Lamb. You can kick the tires on him. Just try him out for a few seasons, um, and then sign Gay to." a contract that would work in a trade like that, which would be somewhere in the eight to $10 million range. Um, and, and you know what? We'll do, we'll do three seasons. We'll do two uh, as a full guarantee. And then we get a team option or partially guarantee the third, like Sacramento would do that in a, in a heartbeat. Now would gay and his camp, um, you know, would they agree to that and get on board? I don't know, but I, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting because I think Rudy Gay's situation is market is unstable and unpredictable because of that Achilles injury. But giving Sacramento Jeremy Liam basically for free to just go ahead and sign Rudy Gay into their cap space and then trade him to Charlotte, you know, that that's a way that the Hornets could really make a splash. Thoughts on that idea? Well, I'll say this. I don't want to uh, completely douse water on your idea because I actually had the same idea, Richie, about two or three weeks ago. Just talking to some folks uh, with the team, I don't think they hold the same view that maybe some other folks around the NBA hold of Rudy Gay. I mean, Rudy's numbers from a scoring standpoint since he's come into the NBA, only guys like Melo and LeBron and CP3 have, have been able to do what he's done each and every year from a scoring standpoint. So he's elite in that regard, but I think there's some real... I wouldn't say concern. I just don't think the Hornets as a as a team, or at least some people in the building, don't look at him the same way as kind of a buy low, sell high type of prospect. And so 
Um, I wouldn't say it's completely out of the out of the picture. I think it makes sense for a lot of the you know fundamental things that you're talking about. But I, I don't think the team looks at him with kind of the same saucer eyes that maybe some fans do. Well, you're the inside source, Chris. So thank you for completely fo- putting that out and taking all my excitement away. I had the same idea, and I kind of floated it to a couple of people, and they they were pretty quick to shoot it down. So I, I kind of had that same reaction because I thought, man, this seems to make a lot of sense. And the response I got was, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet your uh, I wouldn't bet your salary that this is going to come to fruition. We All right. We couldn't have Kemba and Jim Calhoun come in and you know, you know no, no. Beat PC <laughs> or whatever. No, I guess not. Uh, no, I, I all right, well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I know. Again, I get it. It's I kind agree. of what I was saying with like I the. Agree. You know, the whole injury and, you know, what does this guy actually have left in the tank? Somebody's probably going to overpay for him. You're probably right, Chris. And, and yeah, I would rather show it not be that team. All right. How about Deion Waiters? So I, I really think that Miami wants to bring him back. I really don't know why they wouldn't want to. Um, I feel like they got the leverage there. He, he definitely had his best season of his entire uh, really weird, interesting, confusing career last season. Um, but... The same kind of situation, you know, if Miami was interested in maybe a future pick and a Jeremy Lamb, I think MKG is probably too redundant to Justice Winslow. But, you know, there's a guy, too, that Charlotte could just could really benefit from, especially the second unit. But even then, I don't know that Dion would. Why would he leave Miami? Just kind of an idea I had. Any, any thoughts on that? And then I'll kind of throw my last one out. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of it. One, like you said, I don't know if it's really realistic. I think that he, I think Miami wants to keep him, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, I don't know how he would pair with Monk. With He's, he's just such a ball-dominant type of player. And I know that Monk plays well off the ball. But I, for some reason, Waiters on our team, I just don't think the culture fits with him. Uh, that's just my thoughts. I'm with you. He might not even be cool coming off the bench, to be honest. Like, wasn't that a sticking point with him in, in like, 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 or maybe maybe not even just coming off the bench, but just being like not one of the the top options. Like that was an issue with him, uh, in, not in Oklahoma City, but I guess more so in Cleveland or whatever. So I, I just don't I, I don't really like know where you where you play him. Um, I'm in, interested in him. He had an awesome season on a, on a cool Miami team last year, but it's just tough to see where he fits positionally and personality wise with this roster. I think. So. The last name I was going to throw out is Danilo Gallinari, and he's come out basically in the last 24 hours and said that, hey, look, like uh, Denver's still in the hunt because they can offer me five years, but they're not my top choice, and obviously all the other teams with his full bird rights can offer him, or they don't have his full bird rights. Denver can offer him five. Everybody else can offer him four. If Denver's going to kind of stay in this hunt until the end, I think it might be a situation where a team like Charlotte could come in and say, oh, hey, by the way, it doesn't look like Danelle is going to come there. You guys are getting a meeting with him. You really would like him back. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. But, hey, here's a sign and trade um, situation. And I've always thought MKG was a really, really good fit in Denver. I think he's the kind of guy they need on the wing out there. They need to insert some defense into that roster. Badly. Um, yep. Badly. And yeah. – I don't, I don't know. I mean, Chris, like, is this a more realistic situation or is Danilo just too expensive? Um, but the Hornets could, I think, easily fit. Like, the trade could work pretty easily. The cap math could work. Um, but it puts them, you know, MKG for Danilo and something else, whatever. But it puts Charlotte way over the tax, and they, they'd have to make some serious moves during the season to get back under. What do you think about this idea? 
Yeah, I, I think it again, I think it makes sense. I, I to be honest, I, I hadn't thought about him in particular. Um, you know, the one time Jordan had said he, you know, he's been on the record saying, look, I'll go over the luxury tax. But the one thing I keep going back to with this roster right now is currently constructed, as you said, Spencer, I think it's good. It's not great. Maybe a trade at the trade deadline pushes it closer to great than where it is right now, even with one of these moves. But if you didn't go into the luxury tax two summers ago when there was an opportunity to do it when the cap spiked and you would have had to work some funny math to make it all fall into place in the right order. But if you do it, didn't do it then for a team that had won 48 games and was up 3-2 in a series uh, against the Heat, is this, a, is this a team worth doing it for, even if you added Gallinari into the mix? That's, that's the one thing I would say, and I would just venture to guess the answer is probably no on that, but I, I like the fit, and you know that's the type of player, to me, I'd be willing to part with MKG for. I, look, I've actually been somebody that's probably been maybe a little bit too protective of MKG. I think he's one of the best rebounders in his position in the NBA. He's definitely a very good defensive player at his position, and given his age, I'm still willing to ride it out the fact that his offensive game isn't where it needs to be yet. But if you're going to part with him, it's it, for a guy like Gallinari, I actually think it makes sense. But it seems like a lot of people are willing to just give MKG away for a bag of potato chips. I'm not willing to do that yet. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think probably everybody on here is somewhat protective of, of MKG or whatever. I like Gallinari because he draws a ton of fouls. Um, I think defensively, maybe he's, he's a little bit of an issue. And, yep, and yep. He, he and Rudy Gay at this point in their careers, they might be even more stretch fours now than they are uh, than they are threes. But, you know, I, we, we, you can always make that work. But I like a guy that draws a lot of fouls like that. And so, again, down the stretch of a close game, every possession wouldn't have to be Kemba pick and roll, a six foot one guy trying to go to the hoop or whatever. Uh, you'd have a, you know, a 6'10 Italian guy that you could throw the ball to and go get you some easy points. So, uh, I, if they could make it work financially, I would be bummed to see MKG uh, leave, but he would certainly be an intriguing option. Uh, maybe an unlikely one, though. You know, to give Stephanie Reddy another Italian name to pronounce. Yeah, it's true. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a very good point. It's a very, very good point. But something we haven't discussed yet, and I want to make sure we do it before we go here. Um, <laughs> Brian Roberts um, actually is on the Hornets book still as well. He has a cap hold uh, right now that stands at 1.4 million. And I think the reason the Hornets are actually keeping that cap hold on their books is because Brian Roberts qualifies, but he would get the minimum wherever he was signed. I, I would imagine. And he qualifies for actually the 1.7 million dollar minimum salary. So his cap hold is actually lower than the salary he would get. Um, if he signs somewhere. So I think that's why the Hornets are keeping that on the books because basically if they don't find a better option in free agency, they end up going with a wing or really BPA in free agency, and that's not a point guard, then they're probably going to have to bring Roberts back. So it makes sense to just keep his cheaper cap hold on the books until they make that decision. Um, and, and just to recap, as you go into Saturday morning uh, and try to keep your head um, you know, on straight here as, as free agency begins – the Hornets, again, have two cap exceptions. They have the non-tax mid-level exception. It's really the full mid-level exception. Um, that's The salary starts at $8.4 million, and that can be up to four years. And then the Hornets also have the uh, biannual exception, which starts at um, – where the max for that is $3.29 million, and that deal could go up to two years, just so you have a little bit, uh, a little bit of knowledge as the Hornets – 
figure out what they're going to do here. Guys, it was a blast. We covered a lot. We could probably keep going for another hour with all these free agency options. But, um, hey, Chris, look, we really appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, we would love to have you on again here soon. But I want to give you an opportunity real quick. Um, let people know where they can listen to you. You're, you're awesome listening when it comes to Hornets and, and a lot of things. Um, Charlotte Sports, and then where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, so you can you can listen in every day. We're on 2 to 6 if you're in the Charlotte area. It's 102.5 on the FM dial. It's 610 on the AM dial. You can listen in WFNZ.com. Uh, if you just search WFNZ in the App Store, whether you get an iTunes device or an Android device, we got an app. You can listen live from anywhere. And uh, on Twitter, it's at Kroger, K-R-O-E-G-E-R. And uh, I try to try to tweet up a storm so you can you can give me a follow there that'd be great brian and richie it, it was a great first episode um as kind of the, the three of us together and, and plenty more to come in the future i know uh, and again chris we'd love to have you on again so thanks again for coming on all right guys uh anything else that you guys want to drop before we get off of here and uh dive at free fall into free agency uh all right. I, I would just i would just throw out real quickly charlotte too still does have a uh a uh, a trade exception as well. The last one last gift from the Troy Daniels sign and trade of a year ago that expires uh, about two weeks from now on the twelfth of July too. So that's maybe I, I think there's a good chance that could just disappear and they might not end up using it. But that is something they'd have at their uh, at their disposal as well too. We should have kept so. that dude. Should have kept that dude. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a good point, Brian. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I am with you. I I think it probably goes not used, but. Keep an eye on like Boston. Boston's probably going to have to move a little salary around if they uh, do end up trading for Paul George, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart. That trade exception could come into play if Charlotte decided to, you know, they wanted to try to get in the hunt for for something like that. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. But mm-hmm. but thanks again, guys. Um, hey, look, be on the lookout tomorrow. Well, when you listen to this, it'll already be up on QueenCityHoops.com. But um, if you really want to go deep into the weeds about all the uh, cat logistics for what Charlotte has to work with during free agency, uh, my free agency primer will be dropping on QueenCityHoops.com tomorrow. Richie contributed. Brian contributed with some ideas. I talk about a lot of the, the names we discussed tonight, uh, including a lot of just, again, the math that will probably bore you to death. But it's there if you want to look at it. So we'll see what the Hornets end up doing here in free agency. But had a great time, guys. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the almighty baller radio network and we'll be back next week uh basically recapping uh uh, the hornets free agency and what we hope continues to improve this roster so until then uh have a fun enjoyable and safe july the 4th and enjoy free agency is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.